This is episode 50 of the Creative Strings podcast with special guest Aaron Culverson. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. In this episode, Aaron shares many opportunities you may not be aware of as a musician to explore making music in the health space. We talk about how Aaron took his journey since his days as an undergrad at Berkeley and is now working towards his PhD and what that journey has been like him as he finds his direction in music. And you're going to learn about a lot of ways that you can apply this in your own journey. Aaron Culverson, great to see you, man. Been a long time. Really good to really good to connect with you the other day on the phone, and then to hear about what you've been doing. I just wanted to lead off by asking: tell us, tell our listeners about the opportunities that exist for musicians in, for lack of a better word to say it, in the health space, because I feel like this is really exciting, and I don't really know that much about it. Yeah. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to be here today and hello everybody. Um, so my name is Aaron Culverson, uh, and I'm currently pursuing a PhD in, uh, ethnomusicology with a partnering research in neuroscience. Um, so I went to Berkeley college of music, um, some while ago, I graduated in 2009 and I was a student of Chris's, uh, I play violin. Um, I've been playing now for 27 years and I'm really interested in relationships between music and some sort of health association. So, uh, I'm now pursuing a, a PhD at university of Florida and they have, uh, this center called center for arts and medicine. Um, and at us, it's kind of a leader across the country, um, in both research and clinical practice. So in terms of opportunities. Uh, one might go down either or both of those tracks in, in a clinical space, the opportunities are to play for patients, uh, play for staff. And as you might imagine in hospitals and multiple care settings, for example, you might go to an Alzheimer's uh, rehabilitation center or some sort of other therapeutic space for individuals with substance abuse or mental health issues to connect with them personally. And as we know, as musicians, as performers, as educators, music is perhaps one of the greatest ways to facilitate some kind of connection between individuals. Um, there's also the research side, uh, and that's what I'm more focused on at the moment. So with research, there's a lot of opportunities in the academic space. Um, one might go down more of an education-based role to teach about research that other people have done or actually do the research themselves. And in that realm, you might get involved with more qualitative approaches, like getting some transcripts from conversations with individuals about their experiences of music. Uh, another opportunity is to do more quantitative based stuff like things in neuroscience, for example, to understand what's going on in the brain of musicians or individuals that experience music in some way. Um, all of these are opportunities that do have funding associated with them. 
For example, uh, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, has recently come out with a funding mechanism called Sound Health. Uh, it's a network across the whole country. There's multiple institutions involved. Uh, University of California is the host uh, at San Francisco in particular. There's also links with Johns Hopkins University um, and several other high-ranked institutions across the country. Um, so again, from this academic kind of you know realm, the, the health space is definitely a, a burgeoning area um, in opportunity for music in general. So when you're talking about the research side, uh, and forgive me because I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to catch up here to what everything you said. I get, I get to stuff about like, oh, okay, so people can go play in ho hospitals. You can get a gig playing in a hospital that, that makes, you know, me perk up as a, as a musician, you know, I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. And, and part of why I'm interested in this is because, you know, like the interview I did with Regina Carter, she talked about, um, playing for hospice patients and that that was a really meaningful thing to her which i thought was amazing and um and also i interviewed a music therapist raquel Rav ravioli um who you know runs a music therapy program in ohio marietta college and so just it's been kind of like out there, you know, I've been hearing, hearing these ideas about, wait, you know, there's other ways for us to get involved with our music in this kind of therapy for lack of a better way, like, you know, like this therapeutic idea of being a musician, but also like people can get paid. Like you can go out and get a gig, like you, you know, I mean, even playing senior centers comes to mind as well, you know, um, and, uh, but the research side. Uh, okay. That to me, it sounds like you're saying if you're already in college and you're thinking about getting a higher ed degree, like a master's degree or something like that, then this is a new direction that you could pursue. And then eventually you could get paid if you had more education. Is that true? Is that kind of the caveat? I mean, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Um, I think that particularly the way the academic structures are, uh, the way the system works, I guess. It's, it's in with it's within the higher ed space that the research side, uh, produces dividends. Um, uh, I think that has to do with just kind of the, the social hierarchical kind of nature of peer review, which is the system that, that is associated with publishing articles and oftentimes presenting research at conferences that then uh, influences policy, for example. Um, so. Well, I can, I can talk to, uh, you know, again, work that we're doing here at Center for Arts and Medicine and also opportunities that are, that are available through that. So there's dual programs that are available for bachelors in music and medicine, uh, certificate programs. And those are five-year programs that allow undergraduate students to pursue some connection between uses of music to then promote some sort of health outcome. And as you mentioned, um, you know, going to senior centers is definitely, uh, um, uh, I guess more common opportunity that people pursue, uh, because those kinds of activities and those kinds of therapeutic approaches are kind of accepted. They're understood. Um, it's known that if you go and play some live music for people who are sitting in, in a space that may be in a memory care unit or just an assisted living facility. They have some sort of a response to that music and that connects them with the musician 
And those are paid gigs. In fact, in some settings, those are very well-paid gigs. Um, I know of some individuals uh, here at UF, considering we're in Florida, it's kind of the retirement capital of the, of the country, if not <laughs> the world. Uh, there are multiple senior centers just in Gainesville alone, let alone going to other cities and large urban centers that have great programs available for musicians to come on a regular basis. One place is the Villages. Uh, it's this huge retirement facility. There's something like a million people that live there. It's only expanding. I mean, every time you drive down to Orlando on I-75, there's just massive swaths of land that are being developed. And these people like to interact with younger people and play and have music performed for them in ensemble and solo settings. Yeah, I, I actually heard it, it just came up to, I, I, I saw this article about, I, mean, I think it was somewhere in the, the Northwest where they were in, in a senior care center, um, that they were having toddlers be, or children, it was like they were combining babysitting for, you know, cause it was like this synergistic symbiotic thing for the yeah. seniors and the young people. And, and so it seems like that's kind of what you're talking about here is, I mean, as to me, it feels like as musicians, we just, we want to be needed. <laughs> we need yeah. to be needed. We need to be useful, you know? And that's, to me, that's a big question is like, where do, where can somebody get a gig? Where can just somebody work? Like most, mm -hmm. I don't know, for me coming up as a violin player, that was my thing. It's like, I just want to, just want to play, you know, where could I, who wants to hear me, you know? And so many of the people that I, that I coach and that I teach and, and, you know, consult for, that's what they're struggling with too. I mean, people that are teaching, people that are freelance, people that have orchestra jobs, everybody's the same. As far as I'm concerned, everybody's pretty much the same. And some people may be less performance heavy. They may want to do more of the teaching side. Um, but it sounds like in this kind of health space or health application for musicians, as you said, anything's possible. It could be more performance related. It could be more these other types of gigs. So I really appreciate you bringing our attention to it. Sure. And, and, um, and just briefly, I'll mention that if people want to learn more about, you know, the university option and that sort of thing, um, I guess it's the university of Florida and you're in Gainesville, but if they wanted to learn about the program that you're doing down there. Uh, they could reach out to you probably. Do you have a website or like an email address they can find you or what's the best way? Yeah, um, I think email is most direct, but I do have a website and I, I actively do uh, update that website. Um, I can say because of the, the sort of position that I'm in right now as a PhD candidate, I'm not so much uh, involved with kind of the like personal development. Um, and for me, that that website is m more associated with kind of my personal pursuits than it is with my I guess, academic pursuits, which is. But if they want to reach out to you, what, the, the, what's your, what's your email? Is there a good email for people to reach yeah, out? Yeah, it's, it's my name, uh, a Culverson at ufl.edu. Um, and I also have a Gmail account, which is the same one, just with the number one after awesome. Culverson. Actually. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. And I'll try to put that in the, in the show notes too. And so, um, so you've, well, maybe we can segue and talk about how you got to this, um, place where you're at too, because I think it's, it's almost, uh, it somehow feels like a Russian nesting doll because you know, we're talking about how people can find it, kind of find their, their direction as musicians. But this is interesting because when you went to Berkeley, what, maybe 15, uh, 10 years ago, uh, when I first met you, I think that you were, 
you were studying performance. Maybe you were interested in being a jazz violinist, but then you went through this really long and winding path to get where you are right now, which is coming back as to be a PhD student. You haven't been in academia the entire time, right? No. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Cause I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> The competitive world of being a performing musician is challenging. And, and I was not the, I was, I guess I wasn't like, I suppose, willing to push myself enough to achieve at the high level that a lot of performers desire to, to, you know, keep going by, you know, layer by layer and have more, have more um, exposure and get more opportunities to perform. So I tried, I tried after graduating and through, through Berkeley time to, to get to, you know, more opportunities for performance and keep spreading my name and keep having, you know, the chance to, but it was too challenging for me personally. Um, and I, and I wasn't cut out for the promotional aspect and the marketing aspect. And so, um, I decided to, to really shift gears entirely. Um, and I moved to an international location, uh, Kenya in particular, I moved there for two years. Um, I met somebody in the 1140 Boylston street building, uh, 1040, 1140. I'm forgetting the address. Yeah, Berkeley, the, the building that a lot of right. classes happened for Berkeley right. in, in Boston. Yeah. And, 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 you, um, met, you met a security guard there. Yeah. So, so, uh, I got into a conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of an open-minded person in terms of interaction with random people. Yeah. I, yeah. I like doing that. I think that's kind of a skill of musicians. Actually, we have abilities to listen and to communicate with individuals that perhaps others don't have. Um, and so I struck up conversation regularly with this individual. He was always in the, the ground floor before the elevator to go up to the string department. And he kind of introduced me to this possibility to do an exchange program that he had started and he had been working on for the past three or four years. And he was about to pilot that exchange program that summer. Um, and so I, I kind of signed up for it. I gave him my password information, gave him the down payment, uh, agreed to meet with the families that had also, you know, agreed to be part of this program and saw that it was kind of a legitimate organization. Um, so we went for a month tonight to, to Kenya, uh, stayed in Nairobi for about a week, which is the capital city, and then went, uh, west to his, um, home community, uh, called Kakamega and did quite a bit of volunteer work for about three weeks. Um, with his father's school, as well as multiple other things. For example, we got to perform at this competition, which was predominantly, you know, we were white students coming from the United States and it was an exchange program. It was called Global Youth Groove. Um, it's still available today, actually. I'm not sure how it's going since COVID-19, but this introduced me to just like a whole another possibility of existence, uh, uh, let alone for my personal growth also to other individuals, you know, ways that they were living and being. Um, and it really opened my eyes, it opened my heart, and it opened my mind to, to other ways to consider music as some sort of interactive medium by which I can learn and grow and share and change. Um, and that, you know, that just like totally shifted my mind as to maybe I don't just need to be a performer. Maybe I can do something else with music, some way again to connect with human beings. And, uh, so my, my mom actually came over and we ended up living together for a while. There was some family issues going on for us at that time. Um, and there was a, a presidential election occurring in Kenya and the prior one was quite violent. Uh, consequently, we were a little bit concerned for our safety and we decided to leave. Um, and so we came back to the United States. Uh, I was 
a little bit unsure as to exactly what I wanted to do at this point. And I decided to go to grad school. My mom's a PhD. My father was a master's degree. They both taught in higher ed. It kind of made sense to me to do that. And um, I got into grad school at the University of Florida, kind of weaved around a bit in terms of um, what it is I wanted to focus on. Did an independent study, which is a really, really important step, I think, in my career development uh, to focus on me, you know, really get a chance to be like, this is my voice. This is how I want to connect with music and so on. UF, University of Florida, is a research institution. Consequently, it made sense I needed to go down that path if I wanted to fit in with that environment. Um, and, it, and it really worked. I mean, I was able to really, really harness a lot of these experiences that I've just described in Kenya and Berkeley in my childhood um, in a way that, that made sense to me and allowed me to really start to flourish and connect with myself in the context of this, you know, research environment. So coming back to, you know, health opportunities and the health space with music, I think that music is one of these incredibly diverse career paths. Everybody has their own voice that is accessible and available, but to find uh, consistent income opportunities, you have to spend the time to, to figure out who you are in that space. And for me, going international, after graduating from under from undergrad helped me to find that voice. Um, it, it allowed me to, to realize that that I matter and that I have a space that that is valuable and that other people want to hear about and connect with. And this just, you know, created this circular kind of flow of positive feedback that 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 I can do something that 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 really I didn't have before I before I left the United States and came back to the United States. So it's a, it's a long, you know, there's a lot of other details. <laughs> but no, 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 was... I, one quick follow-up question about this. And, you know, I'm kind of asking this, like, just really for my own information and also like as a dad, I mean, like, yeah. you know, like Mike, my, my oldest kid graduated from undergrad about a year or two ago. And, uh, I know this is a question, you know, in our family right now, I mean, isn't it expensive to pursue a master's degree or a PhD or something like that? I mean, how does one survive? I mean, how does one, because I mean, you talked about, I mean, even like taking a trip to Kenya for two months, like how does someone afford that? You know, can, yeah. can anybody do that? Or is that only available to people that can afford that? Or I'm just curious. It's a great thought process. So, um, interestingly, I met the son of the individual who ended up being my master's thesis supervisor in, at Berkeley College of Music. He was there at the same time and his family lived also in Gainesville. So we got to know each other. We got to develop a relationship and that established the possibility for me to connect with this professor at UF in a personal way. Um, <clears throat> I also, I think that, you know, the University of Florida, I'm going to say something that's a little frank and perhaps opinionated, but the University of Florida's music program and performance program are not the same quality as Berkeley's performance and general music program. So perhaps I stood out a little bit as an individual at the University of Florida, and that allowed me to get a full scholarship. I'll be very frank in stating that. Um, I think that coming back to that relationship piece, though, is huge. Relationships are, are perhaps more important than, than a CV. If somebody knows you and they trust you and they believe in you, they will recommend you for some, for some program or for some opportunity. And you'll be very competitive for that opportunity. For me, that, that was the way that that went. 
Ah. I see. So it's about kind of doing a lot of research, trying to find where are some opportunities to get sort of scholarships or fellowships or these kinds of things. Um, if you don't have the bread to pony up and, and, uh, but you know, what comes up for me and sorry, if it sounds a little devil's advocate maybe, but, um, is that, you know, you sort of, I mean, well, I guess in your situation, maybe, yeah, you did have this one relationship, you know, that really led to, but you still had to push some initiative out there. And to me, that doesn't seem that much different than the initiative that's required to go out and get a gig. And you were kind of saying that, you know, you weren't self-promotional or right. you, you weren't cut out to do that. And so I'm just kind of, yeah, just trying to, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, no. but I'm, I'm just, because that's always an interesting thing to yeah. me to look at the binary, I guess, of, of, you know, working a job versus, mm -hmm. you know, working for oneself. And right now you're kind of working a job because you're, you work with, you know, this, this institution, right? You have some kind of job or as you're studying there. Um, but you are, you're also doing some freelancing as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So is that yeah. changed or, or, I mean, you're, you're, have you, is it because you're more, more mature? So it's easier to go do that self-promotion stuff than it was when you were 22 or, or I'm just curious. So, so I really appreciate you coming back to that because, um, now that I've just shared that kind of personal story about my experience in Kenya in particular, that, that shifted the narrative for me about self-promotion, I think. I, I didn't have that voice. I didn't have that confidence mm. to, to be myself before <clears throat> going to Kenya. Really just, just leaving the physical environment of, and the social environment of the United States to just go to some place that I didn't really even know existed. Yeah. No, it just totally sh shook up the, the scenario for me of, of being able to go into a public space and feel comfortable and feel confident. Now, now I play music in all kinds of contexts and settings, uh, that it's either personal, small ensemble, larger ensemble, whatever. And, and I feel so much more safe in being able to do that because I consider the audience now as human beings. I don't consider the audience now as judges or individuals that are trying to critique or, or question or challenge some sort of whatever performance choice. And for me personally, it took that extreme of a change from my day-to-day -day routine of living in Boston, going to a place that again, I really didn't know existed, um, to just like totally shift that narrative and be like, I am a human being, everybody else is human beings and they appreciate or not what it is that you're doing for them. And that's okay you know, and just move on and just go and find another opportunity and don't get hung up on the challenges of judgment and, you know, those kinds of things that are so associated with the climate of, of music education and music performance and, and the competition of the business. Mm. And so it took for me that, that level change to realize that I could market myself in a way that I could market myself, you know, that's beautiful. Thanks very much to Electric Violin Shop for supporting the Creative Strings podcast. Electric Violin Shop is not only the best solution for all things electric strings, they are also an employee-owned business. Maybe that's why you're always going to get a human to pick up the phone and answer your questions, no matter how many questions you have when you call Electric Violin Shop during business hours. If you're in the US, 
call Electric Violin Shop at 866-900-8400. That's a toll-free call. 866-900-8400. You can also find them at electricviolinshop.com. Creative string players and teachers depend on Yamaha because Yamaha backs up their electric and acoustic string instrument lines with the best warranties I know of. And they support music educators and associations like American String Teachers Association, events like Suzuki Institutes, school visits around the country, and they support much more in music education. If you're on Facebook, and if you're a current or future music educator, join Yamaha Music Educator Community free. Thanks to everyone at Electric Violin Shop and at Yamaha for supporting Creative Strings Podcast. One thing clear from talking to Aaron is that every musician's journey is not a straight line. Uh, it often takes a lot of curves, a lot of pivots. And if you're trying to figure out that next pivot, figure out how to keep moving in your musical journey, in your career journey, in a way that aligns with your lifestyle, consider getting support. The easiest way is just to email me at chris at christianhouse.com and I can share with you various ways that we can support you in your own professional development for your career, music, teaching, and in other ways. Just email me chris at christianhouse.com. What I'm hearing there is that, you know, um, as musicians, we're, yeah, we go, we go to school and we're constantly comparing ourselves to other musicians. Mm -hmm. And then we're on social media, when we're trying to promote ourselves, we're constantly comparing ourselves to somebody else that's getting more likes, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're constantly getting rejected. Maybe if, if we're asking for, uh, gigs from venues and they're like, well, how big is your following? Or, you know, who's your agent? And, you know, we're reaching out to agents and they're like, I'm not going to represent you. You don't have, you know, a million right. followers or right. And so then it, then it creates this like resistance maybe mm -hmm. where it's, it's hard to ask for a gig. Is that kind of what right. you're talking about? And, and, and then, so how can we feel <laughs> comfortable with ourselves enough to just keep asking? you know, to find where we can fit it, you know, like go down totally. the street, like find a gate, like whatever, wherever there's a gig. Yeah. Okay. You know, it can just shut us down so much. If we, if we're constantly filtering all that, the climate, as you said, right. But, right. but I, I guess when you went to Kenya, mm -hmm. you experienced a different cultural reality and how music is experienced there. And that's part of what happened to make you shift and be able, is that what what I'm here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, so, you know, there, there, there's a lot of traditional music in Kenya, traditional music being music that, that I, I really didn't know existed. Instruments, rhythms, style choices, performance techniques, ceremonies, ways that people interact with music. This kind of ties into what I'm studying right now, ethnomusicology, right? This, this field that, that looks at the anthropology of how people interact through music. Um, but then there's a whole other side of, of Nairobi in particular, a cosmopolitan center of East Africa that harbors so many different cultural traditions, one of which being kind of American soul music and R&B. Um, and uh, I love that kind of music. I love the rhythms. I love the expressions. And there's a lot of musicians in Nairobi that, that perform that kind of music on a regular basis for, for very, very lucrative events. Um, similar to the U S there's huge sponsors like alcohol companies, um, uh, vehicle companies or, or automobile companies, um, health companies as well. 
that usually come from outside or have some influence from outside, usually a Western influence, that then create some new environment for, for this interaction between traditional and again, this cosmopolitan kind of, you know, setting. So I was able to really flourish in that more um, kind of modern and like westernized, you know, influenced world. But I'll be, I'll just pull it. I'm, I'm a white, you know, violin player living in a predominantly African space. So I was a very unique physical presence um, that came from Berkeley College of Music, which was a known entity in Nairobi. In fact, the um, initial family that I went to go and live with, uh, that's one of the reasons that I connected with them is because one of their family members was a full scholarship uh, recipient to the to Berkeley College of Music. Um, and so, you know, she knew and she was also very interested in trying to interact with that environment, coming to the United States, right. being a unique entity from Kenya to, 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 to learn and, 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 and contribute and participate. Um, all to say, that uh, you know, it's a very dynamic space um, that you can that you can find a lot of uh, value in if you simply are willing to take the jump or leap and and do something that that is just totally different from the normal. For me, that shifted understanding of how to interact with the climate in the United States that that we were just talking about the constant comparative social media base. Do you have enough likes for the agent to represent you? Kind of environment. That, that is similar. And to be honest, there's a lot of th that going on in a lot of places. That's one of our biggest exports is kind of like capitalistic, you know, co competition for, for, for more opportunity. Um, and, uh, there's also a whole other side though, which I think coming back to research and health and music, you know, you can try to understand the effects that that has upon people's psychological health, mental health. Uh, constant comparison right now, there's a lot of research suggesting that that's not a good way for you to, to develop as, a, as an individual, you know, but to find yourself and to, and to have the opportunity to do that, what, at least for me, I needed to step outside of that environment, look at it a little bit and be like, okay, I don't agree with this necessarily. Maybe there's something that I can do to change that potentially. And that's for me where research can really come in. Research affects policy. It does. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm interested in contributing to that, you know. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, so, yeah, actually, that's a whole other topic then really mm -hmm. now, which is just that <laughs> everybody's suffering from all this FOMO. And, and it sounds like you, you're, you overcame that. That was like what maybe you were suffering with when you were coming out of Berkeley. It was like feeling all this pressure and like, in a place like Berkeley, which is awesome, it's also very can create that that result for people is where they feel like constantly comparing themselves and like, you know, keeping score as opposed to enjoying life, finding their purpose, you know, and just living life and being a musician and enjoying the practice. And so you've you found this way to do that. Not everybody's gonna be able to necessarily leave the United States to do that, but it does beg the question of how can people do that? You know, or just raising the issue that like a lot of us are probably struggling with it and maybe what's holding us back. So I love that you're kind of just calling that out. And cause there's probably people listening that, yeah, maybe feel stuck, just like wake up and are like, what do I do? You know, I don't know how to promote myself for a gig. Is it even, is it even worth it? You know, mm -hmm. is it like, what's going to happen? I'm just going to try and nobody's going to, you know, I deal with a lot of people all the time who are in that kind of this kind of stuck place yeah 
you know, and at different places in their lives too, not just when they're 23, right? but when they're 35 and then again, when they're 50 and 60, I mean, I've had, you know, people that have been teaching in classroom for 20 years and are like, you know, I'm done. I just don't want to do it anymore. I can't, you know, other people took a look at it and then some people that I've coached have actually quit teaching in the classroom. Other people have looked at it and just taken a different approach and they've come back into it with a renewed, uh, love for it and yeah. reframed it. So sometimes it's not, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be that drastic of changing everything that you're doing, but it could be changing how you're looking at it, how you're looking at yourself, Absolutely. which, is, which I feel like is part of what you're talking about is your own internal journey. Oh yeah. It absolutely was. And reframing is a great word for it. My, my stepdad is a neuropsychologist and he uses that term all the time. Um, and for him, that's kind of like the, the best practice that one can do to reconceptualize how it is that they are interacting with the, with the realities of their day-to-day existence. Um, and I'm sorry to be so existential, but I think that's a really, really important way to kind of frame, uh, how a lot of folks kind of get into a certain space and they think that they're stuck in that space maybe. And, but there's a, there's a whole other side to that possibility. And I think that, you know, stepping outside of that, if you can, which as you mentioned, many people don't have that opportunity. They're stuck for a lot of reasons. Um, so, so I can say this, um, recently I became aware of a cultural diplomacy internship. Um, it's a, it's a larger program, but they have an internship through the state department, um, that, that, that offers the opportunity for musicians to travel abroad interact with different people and different cultures and so on, and do this for quite a bit of time, you know, months, if not even a year or more. Um, and those kinds of programs are not just with the state department. Those are also through universities. Um, there's also a bunch of other things like Rotary International, for example, that, that offer these kinds of scholarships and internships and so on to do exactly what it, at least for me, something similar to what it was that I experienced. Right. And I think that, you know, that shaking up of, of the situation um, can, can reveal some, situ- some ideas, some thoughts that you might not necessarily be aware of because you really are kind of stuck in that certain frame of being and certain frame of thinking, right. um, that, that, that is debilitating and, uh, negative. Um, the, it's great to be aware of all these, these opportunities. And that was part of why when you wanted, I wanted you to lead with this is just so people even know that like, there are these opportunities to and it's, I think it's also great for people to, to think about the possibility of extricating themselves, removing themselves from the situation, like changing and getting a, you know, if you can go on the Appalachian trail for two weeks that, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like to do that, you know, but it could be going to Kenya, it could be doing an exchange, you know, um, but also like, you know, I also want to just suggest that like, um, shit micro changes in your Mm -hmm. environment, micro changes in your day to day could, could make the difference as well. And of course, that's a part of what I do as a coach is like, Mm -hmm. you know, people get on phone calls with me, they get on, you know, they come to group calls with me and, you know, we have me and my uh, partner, Evan Greger have a support group. It's basically a support Mm -hmm. group for, and we, we couch it as being career related. So it's like, if you're stuck in your career, you know, come be in our support group and just get ideas from us. Uh, but it's not really just about career. Like when you say career, that's not it. what you're talking about is this huge internal, mm. as you said, reconceptualization, reframing, um, 
And that's a lot of times what people need to do, even if they can't leave the country, even if they don't want to find this or that opportunity, but it's like, they just need to get shaken up a little bit yeah. even in just a small way. But I mean, your frame, your reframing is if, tell me if I get this right, but sure. you were, you went to Berkeley because ostensibly you wanted to be a performing jazz violinist. And that was it. I just want to be, you know, great. There was not that different than me. Like, cause when I was in that age, that's all I wanted. To, I just wanted to be yeah. a great jazz violinist. I, I, it's, I've reframed as well, but then anyway, not about, this isn't about me. It's about you. So that was your idea, but then you went to Kenya mm -hmm. and then you started to rethink, think about what it meant to be a violinist in a different way. Maybe it's not just jazz, but it's also like, Hey, how I can connect with people, how music yeah. can integrate in a community. Then, so then that became this, this idea of, I guess that brought you into studying ethnomusicology mm -hmm. in school, uh, higher ed, but then you also got interested in the health space mm -hmm. as well through that. And now yeah. you're also performing. So this has been over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? That's correct. Yeah. And I, I can say that, <clears throat> you know, uh, the, the, the connection with health came through just visible differences in access to opportunity at, in a, in a space like Kenya. I mean, it's something like 46% of the men between ages 18 and 25 are unemployed on a day-to-day -day basis. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was at least some, somewhere in the statistic range when I was there, which was not that long ago. So maybe they've improved somewhat, but I think this is a really, really important frame to reference where I came with the music piece of, of connection to human beings. You know, for me, I'm, I guess I'm an empathetic individual by personality and by trait, by instinct. But I, I, it kind of, inf it kind of like emphasized the empathy piece to sort of like put myself in that situation and be like, wow, this is messed up. You know, I don't, I don't agree with this. Can I do something about this? And so I'm, a, I'm one person, like one person can have an influence. There's a lot of great historical examples, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, you know, Gandhi, these are wonderful examples, but the empathy piece for me was huge. And I really, really wanted to explore that. That's where the research comes in. That's also where the health comes in. Um, University of Florida has that opportunity, at least in Center for Arts and Medicine. But I also had to push myself as an indiv individual to make connections with individuals that were totally outside of the music school. And thankfully, my uh, um, advisor for my master's program allowed me to interact with people in the College of Medicine. I, uh, I sent an email to a neuroscientist. He studies creativity in the brain. And he was really interested in this possibility of, of, you know, oh yeah, music and connection with human beings. Sounds cool. I mean, as we know, as musicians and as performers, people smile when you play something that they like. People frown when you don't. They're connecting with the performance, not only through the physical sound, but the presence of the individual creating that sound. There's a very human aspect associated with performance and with listening. And for me, the kind of mechanism or tool, here's where the research comes in, is empathy. Something that literally allows you neurophysiologically to connect with that person on a cellular level and on a physiological level, shifting your mood state from something that might, might be agitated or anxious before you came into that performance space to now be something more linked in with the expression that the individual is doing on stage. Um, and then also with the, if there's an audience, there tends to be some sort of a collective effect to shift that physiological state. There's actually research now to support this kind of a statement um, that, that actually is measurable 
to show a difference or a change in effect on how people enter a space and how they might leave that space. Um, these are things that, that still need to be done to, to kind of create reliability and validity of statements like that. But these are thoughts that people are actually doing in large scale settings at, for example, Johns Hopkins University. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities, you know, that music facilitates in terms of uh, change in individual and collective state. I didn't think about things like this until I saw it from my own eyes in terms of on one side of the street in Nairobi, there's a 10 story high rise hotel made by Russian oligarchs. And on the other side of the street is, you know, one story hovels where individuals have flies, you know, coming around their face. I needed to see that in person in order to connect on my level as a musician in some way to understand what, what might be able to do to address this. Obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but for me personally, music's my avenue, music's my opportunity to think and to address those kinds of topics. It's deep, man. It's a lot of deep stuff. Thank you for, thank you for sharing all this. Um, you had to reach out though. You had, you had in order to, <clears throat> to find your, your spot in, yeah. in this uh, program, you had to reach out to teachers and, and people that you didn't know as well and, and sort of ask for help. And, and that's yes. part of what helped you <clears throat> get into this space, which I feel is like is one actionable thing for people listening. I mean, as long as I've been doing this, and, um, 26 years, I guess my career as a musician, I still find that that's one of the advice that I'm still giving people all the time is like, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there. Unless you, unless you, you gotta, unless you're in a job, if you're in a job and, and, and nothing wrong with that. Um, but anyway, is there, is there any other, yeah. other thoughts that you would like to share? So in terms of putting yourself out there, right. You know, some people are extroverted or more extroverted and other people are more introverted. I would kind of classify myself as like a functional introvert. Um, and so if I may, for those that might identify in that way. Uh, I think that that independent study idea, you know, really taking time to, I, to figure out how you can identify with who you are may help you to then figure out methods and techniques that are comfortable for you by which to connect with others in a business context or some sort of, you know, capitalistic intent. I think that's huge because for some folks, it's just like, yeah, let's have fun and go have a conversation and have a beer and, and like, you know, talk about some gig that's going to happen or something like that. And for other folks, it's like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of challenging. I'm not sure if I'm going to have the skills or the, or the, you know, wherewithal or whatever that then there needs to be some sort of a process, particularly for those more introverted individuals to figure out what is comfortable in terms of that meeting. Cause you have to do it. Like you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't pay for electric bills and, you know, buy food and buy Christmas gifts for your nephew. If you don't, go and talk with somebody that can give you money for your service. And, um, I, for me personally, you know, I, I had to spend that time outside of Boston because that's maybe that's where I can come back and say that I was not cut out at that time for the marketing and so on, because I didn't, I didn't spend the time to figure out who I was and how I am capable of doing those things in a different way from certain individuals in which that's more comfortable inherently. You know, what comes up for me right now is that, you know, I mean, we knew each other pretty well, like 
what was 12 years ago, (laughs) whatever it was, when I was teaching at Berkeley, because you were my student, you would come in every week and I don't know, it was maybe a whole year or two. I can't remember how, like I was your private teacher and, um, and then we hadn't talked in 10 years, um, or something. And then you just reached out and then it was like, you know, we connected on the phone and it was like, um, well, for me, it was like, there was a beat hadn't skipped. Like I still recognized you as being that person. I have a lot of memories of, you know, our time together. And my point is this, like, you know, when you reached out to me, it was like, we already had this like past relationship. And so I already had this, I already kind of felt like I knew you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and what, so it, when you reached out, it was, you know, it just came up for me really naturally to want to invite you on the podcast, which I'm not trying to say like, this is a huge opportunity for you to be on the podcast, but it's like, I think for anybody listening, you got to realize that those people that you've had in your life that you've, you know, come in touch with, like whether they're teachers, friends or whatever, like they know you (laughs) and they trust you. And that counts for something like you may not think it does, but it does like, and I'm just sharing my personal experience with you as a way of, of sharing that with other people. It's like, you could, you may not have talked to your teacher for 10 years. If you reach out to them, if you had that positive, if you do, if you have a real legitimate connection, if you ever had a real connection with them, reach out. And that is potentially an asset for you. That's huge. I'm so impressed with everything you've been doing, man. I appreciate you sharing today with the audience. Again, I want to remind people that they can reach out to you at A Culverson, C-O-L-V-E-R-S-O-N. In the short notes page, you can go to christianhouse.com or creativestrings.org. You'll be able to find the Creative Strings podcast. Just look for a Creative Strings podcast and you'll be able to find all the info you need to reach out to Aaron Culverson. If that's what you want to do, uh, you can also just email me, chris at christianhouse.com. And I will put you in touch with Aaron because, uh, um, but it's cool, man. I'm, I'm really excited for everything you're doing. It's, uh, you know, I always knew you were super bright and awesome. And now to see that you're connecting all that into this focused pursuit that feels aligned for you. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I'm really happy Thank for you. you. Thank you. I I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Aaron Culverson. I want to thank our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop and Yamaha for supporting this and other episodes of Creative Strings Podcast. As always, subscribe, share, review, all that stuff, and reach out to me If you have any questions or just want to say, hey, you can email me, chris at christianhouse.com. You can find more episodes and free resources at creativestrings.org or christianhouse.com. Thanks and see you next time.